Hey, what's going on? Greetings and good day, and welcome to the 89th edition of Birds All Day. My name is Drew Carrasco, and welcome to the offseason. The postseason is over. The Chicago Cubs, the World Series champions in 2016. Didn't think we'd ever get to say that. It's crazy. 108 years. Doesn't make uh, 20 seem quite so bad. Uh, my name is Drew Fairservice, coming to you uh, live on tape from beautiful Toronto, Ontario. Uh, unfortunately, Mr. Andrew Stoughton was not able to join uh, me this evening. He is, and I kid you not, at a junior hockey game, which is hard to fathom. We're talking about your Toronto Blue Jays, who have a busy winter ahead of them. There is a lot of work to do. There are a lot of unanswered questions, and unfortunately, I do not have those answers today. We'll do our best to find those answers. We'll do our best to find solutions. Of course, birds all day. Talk about your Toronto Blue Jays. It is available on iTunes. You can go there. You can subscribe, and then you can offer us a review. So if you like the solo episodes, let us know. If you prefer the two-man operation, let us know that too. You And then... One other good way to let us know if you like what we're doing, head over to patreon.com slash birthsallday and support the podcast. Keep us going. Support the things that you value because you never know when it's all going to go away, you know. And keeping us living in the style to which we've grown accustomed is a good way to keep the podcast coming. Here we are. Thursday, November, talking about the Blue Jays, talking about baseball. You can also like Birds All Day on Facebook where you can join us today. We put out a question. We'll get to some of the answers and, uh, and questions that came on Facebook as well as Twitter later on. Uh, it's a good place to banter, I guess. We'll see. Maybe we can make Facebook the hub of action for birds all day, all winter long. Hopefully there's lots of action around which we can fixate. I don't know. There's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of questions, as I said. Big free agents. All officially now. Officially, technically. Jose Bautista. Edwin Arconesion. Brett Cecil. R.A. Dickey. Michael Saunders. Deanna Navarro. Josh Tolley, I think. None of those guys play for the Bajiz anymore. They're jobless. Which is crazy to think about. Whether or not all those guys remain... Unaffiliated, I doubt. Most of them, save a couple. Guaranteed work next year. It's a matter of where. We'll see who ends up back with the Blue Jays again. Uh, before we move on, I think we should talk about the, the World Series because it was pretty crazy. Cleveland, in a cruel twist of fate, came back, or a blue, a 3-1 series lead. That same Cleveland team that we, as Blue Jays fans, watched just really sucked the life right out of the, the American League Championship Series. Uh, they, lost a, they, they blew that 3-1 lead to the Cubs. They did the same thing to the Cubs that they did to the Blue Jays. Cleveland did. Which they just did not give them any room to breathe. Early in the series, they got that amazing start out of Josh Tomlin. They got two amazing Kluber starts. It's tough to beat. It's tough to lose when you don't give up any runs. But, and I think we'll talk about this a little bit later on. I think one one thing the World Series revealed a little bit was, you know, the battle 
the bullpen revolution is as yet unresolved. That there were a lot of interesting usages of key relievers, Andrew Miller in particular, um, used every odd inning, it seemed like. Cody Allen, who in the end pitched better than Andrew Miller over the last 30 days or so. Terry Francona being unafraid to offer to bring those guys in in on in non-save situations, being not not being afraid to use his two-headed relief pitching monster as that, not looking as one guy as the save collecting machine, and then another guy waiting for his turn to collect the saves. Not how it worked in Cleveland, which was incredibly effective. Unfortunately for long-suffering fans of baseball in that part of Ohio, uh, it didn't work out in the end. And I can't help but think that it's related to the insane workload that Andrew Miller in particular took on. Pitching so often and so long, throwing 40 and 50 pitches in an outing, working every other day and having only a few days off. Uh, which, as we've been saying over and over, and as people are going to be have been quick to forget that that sort of usage is not going to fly in May. You're not going to see Andrew Miller in the fifth inning in a game in May. You're not going to see him throw 40 pitches in a game in June. You're not going to see him three times in four days in July. It isn't the way it's going to work. It is a marathon, not a sprint. And surviving the marathon puts you in position to then run the sprint. It's almost like I don't know, I'm running out of analogies, but it's it's a different game. And you can't run pitchers out there like that and not expect there to be collateral damage. Araldus Chapman, who is notoriously fickle, but the way that he's used almost cost the Cubs their shot at the World Series, blowing a three run lead in the eighth inning. When Joe Madden, who sort of flipped the script on the way that he used Chapman, sort of maybe perhaps learning from the example set from his managerial counterpart in Cleveland and brought Chapman in in places where he's not necessarily uh, comfortable all the time, as well as using him a lot and maybe perhaps overusing him. It's one of those debates that you could have all day. Did they need to bring Chapman in in game six when they did? The game was all but in hand at that time. But the playoffs are different, and I think we all heard John Spontz uh, TBS or Fox, sorry, Fox um, analyst and of course Hall of Fame pitcher mentioned that that everything feels like a rally in the playoffs, and that's 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 the appeal I think from a fan perspective. Uh, I've mentioned the words long suffering, but uh, there's been a lot of uh, there were a lot of great things written, a lot of great things that came out of that um, very dramatic and exciting and and uh, exhilarating game seven, and one of the a lot of the, what does it all mean? What does baseball mean? Where does it fit? Why do we love, Stacey May Fowles, our, our friend, your friend of mine, uh, wrote that, what, why do we love baseball? That was something that ran through. Uh, Sam Miller uh, for ESPN wrote a great column. Andy McCullough for the LA Times wrote a great column. And they all touched on these same things. What is it about baseball? This weird, sort of nonsensical, arcane game with these nebulous rules and rulings and traditions and unwritten laws and codes uh, but it was, I don't know, it's that drama. And I, and Cleveland fans can all walk with their heads held high. And, be pr- and, and as we do in sports, they can be proud of that team. 
And I think that everyone in baseball can because they were a lot of fun to watch. I, I like that Cleveland team uh, quite a bit. I don't like their name and the nickname, as everyone knows. But that team's a lot of fun to watch. And Stoughton and I, last time we did one of these, we talked about them being the model. Maybe is that a model that the Blue Jays can follow? Of course, the Blue Jays and, and uh, their connections to Cleveland are inevitably uh, they're inevitable to draw. They are obvious. But I think... You don't have to look any further than the team on the other side of the diamond, the team that actually won. The better team between the two, the best team in baseball that won 103 games, the team that had the best offense in baseball and the best defense and the best run prevention, uh, the Chicago Cubs. How I, I don't see how... There's no need to get cute if you, if you want to talk about what would be the ideal state. And if I'm a Blue Jays fan, what can I take away from this World Series? Or what can I learn? What, what can I take away from the way these two teams are made? And I think the number one thing you can take away from watching the Chicago Cubs is get good players and lots of them. Fit them all in. Get players who are versatile and, and, and productive and can hit. And you find ways to make it work. And that means that you're playing Ben Zobrist in left field and not maybe sometimes at second base or sometimes in right field. I mean, Zobrist, it wasn't even that long ago. Zobrist was playing shortstop. And he's a guy that can hit. And he's a guy that... The way that he contributes is perhaps undervalued in terms of what he was paid on the free agent market because of his age. But a guy who is a has such a high ceiling and is able to contribute in so many ways. I mean, the Cubs won 103 games. They won the World Series getting nothing, essentially, from the $180 million free agent that they signed, Jason Hayward. Uh, who, of course, nothing is not fair to... To, to say he is a superlative base runner and outfielder, and he did a lot of great base running, in particular in the World Series, when he was able to steal first. Um, but then you see stuff like uh, Chris Bryant and another guy, Tywin Versata, playing left field, playing third base, and then showing twice in Game 7 the value of aggressive and smart and informed base running. Blue Jays fans are very familiar with Rajay Davis and his uh, exploits in the outfield. Kind of, uh, Cleveland fans and baseball fans in general got a nice look at what the Rajay Davis outfield experiment uh, experience looks like. Uh, his throwing arm is notoriously poor, uh, and the Cubs and Chris Bryant in particular took advantage of that, scoring on that um, sack fly. That Davis actually got a decent throw off. It just took him all day to get to to unleash it, and he threw high. And Bryant smartly threw under. Bryant scored from first on a double on a pitch he was running on. Just, again, total clinic and base running. And to me, that's the thing that you want to take forward, and I think that's going to inform the way that the Blue Jays look to rebuild their team because that's kind of what they're doing. Not rebuilding, but retooling, reloading. As I listed some of the names off the top of guys that are missing from, that are now free agents, former 2016, or former Blue Jays who are now that. Blue Jays who are now transitionally employed, I think we could say. Obviously, the Cubs model is next to impossible to follow. Uh, there was a little an element of tanking. They stripped the team down, uh, landed a high draft pick, which became Chris Bryant, which became the MVP inevitable of, of the of the 2016 season in the National League. But a lot of the team, a lot of the members of the team, uh, came in via trade. They came in via free agency. John Lester, who pitched as well as he always does in the outfield, when he wasn't braining David Ross with uh, balls in the dirt. But I think that uh, there's no need to get cute when it comes to team building. And a lot of times, we're, uh, there's always the 
copycat influence, and I think that hopefully the the Cubs provide a good a good model for copycatting, which is make your team really really good, get lots and lots and lots of good players, line the diamond with good players, line the diamond with players with high floors and also high ceilings. Well, you know your mileage may vary on which 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 of those is more valuable, the high floor or the high ceiling. Okay, guys, I can hit. Having a bunch of people that can hit is pretty great. Having a guy like Javier Baez, or Javier Baez, who looked at times terrible in the batting uh, in the World Series at the plate, swinging at just anything you threw in the other batter's box in the dirt. But then he also was able to turn on, I believe, was an inside fastball and hit out the other way with that bonkers bat speed of his. An amazing, exciting player to watch who also apparently can't bunt. Uh, the Blue Jays have a lot of good players as well. But the things that cost the Blue Jays were the things that, uh, you know, the, that, that series against Cleveland brought out so many of the worst, the wor- confirmed some of the worst fears of some people. And also, it took it, it they, Cleveland was able to exploit some of the flaws or weaknesses uh, in the way the Jays are constructed. And it'll be interesting to see uh, how that looks going forward, which makes me transition to the offseason. The offseason begins in earnest, is what I wrote here. Uh, there are lots of potential uh, matches for the Blue Jays. Uh, Dexter Fowler, of course. Starting center fielder for your Chicago Cubs. Now a free agent, given the opt-out status of his contract. Uh, lots of Blue Jays fans, inevitably, wondering about Fowler's availability, wondering about Fowler's ability to fit in with the Blue Jays. And you would be a fool to think otherwise. Which is why... Uh, it's not going to happen. Every team in baseball would love to have Dexter Fowler in their mix. One team almost had him last year, the Orioles. They thought they had him, or at least the internet thought they had him. And then he was back there in Chicago, crashing a spring training workout. And uh, it worked out pretty well for everybody there. Uh, there was a name, actually, that I thought, instead of Dexter Fowler, you know, a lot of the talk that Russ Atkins had in his post um, season press conference was about athletic, um, uh, you know, again, versatile uh, players that are able to contribute on both sides of the ball. The name that came to my mind, Cameron Maben, because I'm probably racist. Fowler, Maben. Maben is uh, in some ways like a bit of a Fowler light. Well, Cameron Maben was traded today, traded to, a- to the Angels from the Tigers in exchange for a double uh, A pitcher and also essentially saving the, the the Tigers somewhere between 9 and $1 million. It was a $1 million buyout and $9 million option. $9 million bucks for, for Cameron Mabin is a joke. We've been all over that. But now he's in Anaheim. He's going to be a left fielder. Because um, I think Anaheim is set in center. Blue Jays are not set in center. But are they? And this is something else that got me thinking. I, I'm going to read real quick. This is uh, a scouting report of an outfielder. I'm just going to read it. Then I'm going to talk about it. And maybe afterwards on Facebook, we can talk about it too. He has plus bat speed. His barrel is quick into the zone, and he has excellent hand-eye coordination. He projects as a plus hitter. While he has average draw power, his in-game swing prioritizes contact, and he hits a lot of balls on the ground. It's possible he may learn to elevate the ball more regularly as he matures, if he does, he'll become a star-level player. Wow. 
he proactively, uh, but proactive changes to his hitting approach might backfire. And anyway, blah, blah, blah. Uh, even if his in-game power never materializes beyond 8 to 12 homers a year, this is a plus defender in center field who provides near leadoff level contact and on-base ability. Uh, he's a relatively safe bet to provide above average daily production. So that is a scouting report for a, um, a professional player who actually reached the big leagues this year. But I kept thinking, because we talk about Mabin or Fowler, uh, and talk about the the desire or the the need or the ability to upgrade the Blue Jays outfield and Kevin Pillar. Pillar did himself no favors in the playoffs because he didn't look very good at the plate. It's tough to figure out who and what Kevin Pillar will be next year. I don't know if streaky is the word I would like to use, but we all know who and what Pilar is. He doesn't walk a lot, doesn't strike out a lot. And what we saw in 2016 from Kevin Pilar was a guy who doesn't hit for a very significant amount of power. And you start to wonder about the utility of that kind of contact-based approach for a guy who, again, doesn't strike out a lot, but, he, but I don't know that I would classify him as a contact hitter, again, because he walks so irregularly. He had a 4% walk rate in 2016. So everything is that he does is driven by his batting average. Where you're looking at a player who is not not quite a 300, 300, 300 hitter in a perfect world, but he was, you know, what, 260, 300, 376? I mean, he's never slugged over 400 in the big leagues. So maybe that's just a round number that doesn't mean anything. But we're dealing with, as Kevin Pillar, a player who is significantly below average at the plate. But then you read it. You read that I read that scouting report of that's actual Manuel, uh, Manuel Margot, the former Red Sox prospect who now is a uh, basically the center fielder of the future in the Padres or uh, for San Diego Padres. Are they that different? Kevin Pillar's defense makes him essentially an above-average contributor. He's not an all-star. He's never going to be an all-star. But he's put up seven and a half wins according to Fangraphs over the last two years. That's uh, that's great. That's an above-average player. That's, at worst, an average player. How can we sneeze at that? How can I be looking to upgrade on a player who is so productive? And then that, it, it just sort of almost strikes at what I thought I believed. And I think I'm not alone in that. Um, where I told myself up and down for however many years that a run created and a run saved are of an equal value. But you watch the Jays struggle in particularly against Cleveland when they couldn't score a lot of runs because of the suffocating nature of uh, Cleveland's pitching and also defense. And you see Pilar come to the plate and it just so happens that maybe maybe more than his share of at-bats came in high leverage situations or with people on base. And he was hopeless. He felt hopeless at the plate. So it's a matter of, well, why, geez, can't you kind of do better than that? Uh, for for what it's worth, Kevin Pillar had a minus 25 weighted runs created plus in the playoffs. So that, uh, yes, easy to upgrade that. But is that who he is? Is that how he's going to be able to contribute? It's tough. And uh, when you look at a team, as, as, as we've said, a team that does not have a right fielder or a left fielder, technically, you know, maybe one of those you're going to give it to Melvin Upton. But again, is he an everyday player? Doesn't have an out, needs at least one outfielder, needs a first baseman or DH, depending 
with Justin Smoke and suddenly upgrading on the above average center fielder starts to look like something that's a little bit less, less of a priority. So it, it just it just adds to the challenges of this offseason for Roth Atkins and Mark Shapiro. There are lots of places to get better. There are many options. But are there many options? Sure, the Blue Jays had a bunch of money coming off their books, but they have a whole bunch more money going on as, as older players are suddenly due raises, as we all know, as everybody knows. So it's... um. It is an interesting and transitional winter where maybe trades are going to be made or maybe uh, the Blue Jays, well, again, will follow that Cubs model. The Cubs develop their own position players and then maybe paid 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 money for pitchers. That's it. I've rambled enough off the top. Take a quick break. Come back, take your question on this first off-season edition and the 89th overall edition of Birds All Day. All right, so we're back on Birds All Day. Didn't really go anywhere, but we're back and we're ready to take I'm ready to take some questions from the listeners. We put it out, as I said, on Facebook and on Twitter. On Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash birds all day. Check it out. Like it. Get the podcast right into your feed. Get some banter or some discussion or whatever you want. We'll see if we can make it uh, make it a thing here uh, in the off season. Looking ahead to the 2017 season. Uh, of course, the first thing, maybe I'll just talk about a couple names real quick. A lot of the questions I got about uh, uh, about ahead of today's show are about free agency. Who are potential Blue Jay targets? Who's the kind of person that you're going to want to go after? There's no easy way to answer that question. I mean, who is the best free agent out there? Free agency is changing, I think, is the number one thing. Is Ioannis Espinosa going to be a free agent? Probably. Is that a kind of player that the Blue Jays are going to pursue or have a chance of signing? I don't know. Uh, Mark Trumbo, is that the kind of guy that the Blue Jays are going to pursue and maybe would sign? I don't know. Carlos Beltran, is that the kind of player the Blue Jays might pursue and go and try to sign? Maybe it is. I think that I... I think that Beltran is a guy who might be a better fit or might be more likely to come here. Of course, the Blue Jays famously pursued uh, Beltran heavily before he ended up signing with the Yankees three years ago. Uh, maybe, maybe it's a bit of an outmoded um, mentality where I'm looking for bargains instead of expecting the Blue Jays to go and play uh, in the deep end of the pool with the big players. But I just don't see that that is not the way the team is made now, not the way the team is built with so much money committed to so many different players who are of a certain age. I just can't see it. I can't see them going and spending huge amounts of cash on a free agent. I don't think, I think that there are bargains out there. Uh, And for me, my fixation, my current fixation right now is improving the bullpen by signing busted starter prospects. Guys who couldn't hack it as a starter, giving them a chance to rediscover themselves by stripping down a pitch maybe, 
uh, simplifying a, uh, a motion. Basically, I'm out there looking for the next Andrew Miller. Yeah, it's a copycat business. So maybe that's Jacob Turner, who I don't think is a free agent, but maybe a guy like that is out there. His, his is a name that jumped off of some list to me. Uh, maybe, you know, Mark Melanson is a guy that the Jays might go after. Of course, a guy who's, who I love, Mark Melanson. I love his game. I love his approach. I love his cutter-curveball combination. But he's a guy who's going to command a huge salary. He's on that next tier below, you know, Chapman and Jansen. The big relief fish in the sea. But, you know, a guy like Mark Zipchinski's out there too. Maybe they bring him home. The lesson is always, the lesson that, that we, I talked about off the top in the first segment, but just wanting to get good players all the time, I think that applies to the bullpen too. I don't want to get a closer. I don't want to get a guy who's done, I don't care necessarily about a guy who's, done, who's accumulated saves. If I'm building a bullpen, I want to get as many versatile, the reliable, big arms that I can find. And I want to line my bullpen with as many of those guys as, as, as I can get my hands on. Because we could, you could see when you're watching Cleveland's incredible run. Again, we forget how quickly, or we've, we quickly forget how far Cleveland made it. Basically with one good starting pitcher and one pitching a little bit above his head starting pitcher. Corey Kluber, an ace. Josh Tomlin, who pitched uh, so well until, until he didn't. <laughs> but being able to just get outs from so many different guys in that bullpen. And again, you take what we saw in October and we kind of scale it back into a more, re- more uh, realistic regular season model. But having guys you can count on, two guys, three guys, four guys who can go and get outs, get strikeouts, get pop-ups, get easy outs that aren't leaving things up to chance. I'm into that. And if it means taking a former starter, a guy, even like a, a Brian Mattis, a, the Orioles reliever, failed starter, guy with a big, big repertoire, pitching on the bullpen, strip it down. Maybe there's something to salvage there. Somebody throws hard. Sign me up. Teach them. Teach them the ways. Uh, which comes to the next question, which comes from uh, Tyler Campbell. He wants to know, with the success of uh, Marco Estrada and, Lee and, uh, and Kyle Hendricks, do you think there will be increased focus on developing starting pitchers like them in the future? To that, I say no. I, to that, I say velocity will continue to be king. That guys like that are fun. And guys like that are Amazing guys like Marco Estrada who have that incredible command and that incredible changeup, but he is the exception. He's not the rule. You don't have to think much harder than about uh, Sean Nolan. Remember him, former Blue Jay, part of the the Josh Donaldson trade. Not a guy that throws hard. Guys trying to cheat it around the corners. Guys trying to command and control his way to success, bouncing around. There's just so many guys like that who. The, the margin for error is so thin that it's difficult to imagine the game moving towards looking for the next one of those. No, maybe that's not true. There's always going to be those guys. And again, that comes back to that Sam Miller story that I mentioned earlier that talks about those incredible stories at the, at the margins of the game and players who were 50th round draft picks or 
who were basically out of the game, and then they had a tryout when they were in college, and then one thing leads to another, and now they're the World Series MVP when they're 35 years old. You never want to bet on those guys happening. Each one of those is a miracle unto itself, which makes their stories amazing, which makes Marco Estrada's story amazing and makes him so um, much more fun to watch, uh, so much so easy to root for because they have come against the odds where a Chris Bryant or a Troy Tulowitzki who look like robots who were created to play baseball and have been that for much of their life. It's still easy to cheer for those guys, but that was, that was always who they were going to be, where the fun, weird little stories of calm, cool, and collected, you know, unflappable demeanor, command and control pitchers, uh, they stand out for a reason. So I don't think that the continued encroachment of velocity and huge strikeout pitchers in the game is going to slow down because of a few exceptions to the rule. There's a question from Chris Ryan, again, similar about the bullpen. Do you see them going after Jansen Chapman? My mind is still develop, the, develop your own. Find your own Jansen and Chapman. Uh, it's great to have a, 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 an incredible reliever like that in your bullpen. I don't think that this team of any team is in a position to go and spend that kind of money on that kind of limited value, sir, not limited, limited utility upgrade. The Jays have enough holes in their everyday lineup to fill that taking some of those precious resources and donating it or, and, and dedicating it to a reliever. I don't know that it's going to be the best way to get it, especially when there's a, there's another, there's a, maybe a Matt Bush or some, there's somebody out there you can maybe find or create or develop or improve who might make the minimum and give you that unbelievable, hilarious pennies from heaven kind of production. The dude, Bronus Hoagland wants to know if Chris Bryant is the best almost Jay there ever was. I don't even want to think about that. Of course, Chris Bryant was drafted by the Blue Jays out of high school. He did not sign. He went to college to improve his stock, which he most certainly did. And uh, now look at him. So Stoughton, Stoughton is, has been banging the drum of that as an example of the Blue Jays' good scouting and, and that they have an eye for talent. And I won't disagree. I think that's a good point. Brian A. has a couple questions. One is, what's your early prediction for a dumbass spring training injury? I don't know, but I can't wait to see what happens to Troy Tulowitzki this spring. Something dumb will happen to Tulo. Uh, he also wants to know what will be my drink of choice when I drown my sorrows when uh, Edwin or Jose sign somewhere else. Uh, I think it might be I, I bought a bottle of uh, Kraken spiced rum. I like that around the holidays. Mix it with some nog. Get the nog and the spiced rum in there. Into it. I don't care what anybody says. The nog is a worthwhile beverage. Simon Cotton wants to know, will Colby Rasmus be this offseason's J-Hap? I'm going to say no. I can't help but wonder if Colby Rasmus might not be done playing baseball for the while. He was really, really bad for almost the entire season. He was like frighteningly bad uh, with no power and no on base. Uh, he played the hell out of left field but I don't think that there is a reunion between the Blue Jays and Colby Rasmus coming anytime soon. Question about uh, Luke DeWitt says that maybe Kevin Pillar is trade bait. Can't help but feel that way. Um, he's valuable, as, as, I, as I talked myself into in the first segment. 
might be a below average hitter, but he is an above, well above average fielder, and that unbalance makes him worth something to somebody. The question is to who? And the question is how valuable? Where is he going to go? And I think that comes back to, you know, that's something that's really interesting to watch. Is, is are the Blue Jays at a team that is looking to trade Pilar because they feel as though they can upgrade on him? Or do they feel as though Dalton Pompey can replicate his style of production? I don't know if that's true or not. An 80 uh, weighted runs created plus might be well below average, but that doesn't mean that that's something that we could pencil Dalton Pompey in for today. And is there anything to suggest that Pompey is as good an outfielder as Pilar? Considering how good Pilar is, that's almost for sure no. So you got to start doing that math in your head. And it's no fun. It's no fun as someone who is not afraid to find flaw in Kevin Pillar, given even half a chance. But the prospect of moving ahead without him, without a solid replacement, unless there's big trades to come, I don't know. Uh, next one from Shane Smith. Should Gibbons call for Osuna in the fifth inning next year? We saw a few of these. Uh, no. Maybe not the fifth inning. But I think that there'll be two different two different schools of thought, two different kind of tracks almost in this changing the way that bullpens are used. Number one is maybe we'll see relievers or best relievers or closer style pitchers used at different times in the game, but I don't think we're going to see those kinds of pitchers used as frequently and as insanely highly as we did in the playoffs. That's to me that's obvious. They're not no one's going to run their their closer out like that. Uh, they would explode. And we may have seen that even in, at the end of the series when both Chapman and Miller maybe looked a little tired. As opposed to Col- Cody Allen, who's a bit of a freak. But the timing of their usage will be something to monitor if we get to see the best relievers in sometimes the 7th or the 8th or the ninth inning. If you're a team, if you're the Blue Jays and you're playing a game against the Tigers and it... it and you have a two-run lead or a one-run lead, and you're facing, you know, a J.D. Martinez, Ian Kinsler, Miguel Cabrera, and you have a one-run lead, you got to bring Osuna in to face those guys. Get those guys out. I think that is the sort of thing that, quote-unquote, thinking baseball fans can look forward to, is maybe managers, more managers, being unafraid to recognize the value of that and also recognizing that, the last three arts aren't the most important outs to get in a game. But again, we're not going to see them get used every other game. Uh, the, I, maybe I don't think that Roberto Osuna is going to be pitching 90 innings in a, in a season anytime soon. You know, hopefully not. Uh, Brian Gordon has a question. Better to acquire free a future free agent relief and ride them hard like Chapman versus... Uh, signing to multiple years, Miller is saying, uh, if they're going to blow up. So uh, Byron's question, I, I'm kind of reading between the lines a little bit here, is if you're a contending team and you're making a deal to playoffs, would you rather have a guy with control like Andrew Miller or would you rather have a guy you can really ride hard and then not necessarily worry about the long-term implications of that high usage? Um That's a good question, one I don't know that I have the answer to. I think that Cleveland's going to try to trade Andrew Miller this winter, personally. I think that I would. 
if I was them, I don't think his value will ever be higher. He has contracted such a song compared to what Chapman or what Jansen are going to end up getting. Uh, I would absolutely look into it. You have, you have a, a, a bullpen ace out there already. You've got a guy, a Cody Allen, who might not be on that same tier. But if you can replenish your farm system a little bit, or you can, which took huge hits to get him, and in which Cleveland again, which a team that operates on a on a limited budget, they laid they went all out. You can't if you're a flag fly forever believer as I am, you can't fault what Cleveland did this year. But they have to be mindful of their business model and their cycle of success. And to me, if there's an amazing trade out there that could get you some near big league talent or can can really keep your your team your squad flush. Someone wants to make it wants to overpay for Andrew Miller. I do not turn them away if I'm uh, Chris Antonelli and whoever else runs that goofy team. Uh, and as far as running running guys hard and, and overusing them a bit, I think that there's a balance. I think that we we may overuse those terms um, and maybe assume that managers and general managers are a little bit more craven or a little bit more uh, selfish than we would ever give them credit for. You know, like I've joked, and we've Stone and I have joked about David Price and the way the Jays used David Price last year. If he wasn't comfortable, they wouldn't have used him in, in any of those situations. And that's just because they're professionals and they will conduct themselves in a professional manner and they will treat players with all players with respect, especially guys who are going into free agency because they, they don't want anything like that. They would, you know, that's just professional courtesy and professional respect. And I would never assume that anyone, anyone in the baseball industry would do anything otherwise. Uh, Dustin, a different Dustin, wants to know what would it cost to get uh, Dexter Fowler? Four years, 18 per? That's a good question. I mean, if you lose the sort of wins above replacement model of a contract modeling, I think four years at 18 million, you're looking at what? You're paying for eight wins over four years. So you think if he's going to go, maybe be a three win player and then a two and a half win player and then a two win player. And then a two, one and a half win player. Does that add up? Yeah, that adds up. That's a little bit more. Maybe, maybe a bit more for that. I think, I think he might get a bit more. I think there's ne- you never can be wrong in baseball when you're predicting contracts by going with more. <laughs> I think we'll always be surprised at what a guy like Fowler, what a guy like Trumbo, what they'll end up getting on the free agent market. Would if we if we were sitting here last year, twenty fifteen, November twenty fifteen, saying uh, Jay Hap's going to get three years and thirty six million dollars, we all would have been we would have been, you would have turned off your phone, you would have thrown it into the fucking river. You would not have believed me. And then if I said he's going to pay for that entire contract in the first year, he'd have me committed. But here we are. Here we are. Uh, Ryan Crane has an interesting question on Twitter. Uh, how far does J-Hap get McCutcheon, Andrew McCutcheon talks started? Uh, I have a bit of a, I think that Andrew McCutcheon is an interesting trade target. Uh, he was so bad this year. Killed the Pirates, frankly. Just really, really bad. He was one of the best players in baseball over the previous, what, four or five years? Uh, if you believe that he is now bad, you're crazy. Unless you're the Pirates, who have seen it up close and personal, who have that sort of different, a different kind of insight. 
So maybe if they trade him, that's what it means. Because they're not stupid enough to think that. To, I don't know. It sounds like an appeal to authority, but I think that there's a part of me that can't help but worry that if the Pirates are looking to trade him, it's because they think he's done. And while they may have missed on Francisco Liriano, there are a lot more variables at play when it comes to a hard-throwing lefty with a erratic history in terms of the ability to find the strike zone and the ability to be an effective pitcher. Uh, so I, I maybe move with trepidation towards that. I don't want to think that Andrew McCutcheon is done, so I'm more than willing to start a conversation with the Pirates that begins or ends with uh, with Jay Happ. If five, six win M- MVP caliber outfielder, center fielder, maybe more of a left fielder these days, uh, Andrew McCutcheon is on the table. I'm happy to start that conversation with Jay Happ. But I'm wary. And I'm digging in and figuring out, like, what is it that made him so bad in 2016 that here we are having this conversation? Because that's, that's what I do. I have conversations with baseball teams all the time. No, I don't. Moving to Facebook, we've got some questions. Got a question from Danny who wants to know who was better in the playoff dugout, 2015 Mooney in Toronto or 2016 Mooney in Chicago. Didn't see a lot of uh, Mooney Kawasaki on the Fox broadcast. I didn't anyway. Um, maybe on the region. That's more of a regional broadcast thing where you hone in on the mascots or the guy. Uh, uh, Mooney Kawasaki had 26 plate appearances for the Cubs this year. Then there he was in the dugout all playoffs long. It's easy for me to be critical and say things that are mean and maybe demeaning about him being a mascot and how the way he was treated in Toronto maybe left a bad taste in my mouth. But I have a Twitter friend named Patrick, and he likes to talk about there's no value and no downside to your career. He says, I've seen him tweet this multiple times, to being a good person. And David Ross is an example of that. Although to say that David Ross only was where he was because he's a good person uh, diminishes his very, very, very nice career. A player who had some incredible seasons in Atlanta, in Cincinnati, uh, and of course in Boston, and then here in Chicago at the end of the at the end of his career. Um, being a good person, being the kind of person that people want to be around, uh, being the kind of person who's willing and able to lift people up, uh, there's value in that. And even if you are a replacement level infielder, if People like to have you around if you make them comfortable and put them in a, in a position that they feel like they can concede or they can succeed. Uh, people always have a lot of time for that. So there's Mooney. I guess. I hope. Charitably, there's Mooney Kawasaki, a good guy who now has one more World Series ring than you and I. Uh, and also there's Eric Kinski, old friend, Eric Kinski, ringed up. Again in the World Series, this time as a first base coach again. Uh, this is a fun question. Chris Juniper asks, uh, if you could have added any past Jays player to this year's ALCS roster, who uh, would you have provided, uh, who do you think would have provided what the Jays needed to help them beat Cleveland? Uh, Chris Jun- his, Chris's suggestion is 2010, Jose Bautista which is a good, as good a bet as any. Um, I think that I would have taken maybe not Jose, 2010 Jose Bautista because in my mind, you can't have 2010 Jose Bautista and 2016 Bautista 
uh, you know, now we start to get into some really weird parallel universe sort of thing. Um, I think that I think I think Jose Bautista being an existing Blue Jay makes him ineligible. In my in my mind, the question that you, Chris, asked, I'm now setting rules for. Get used to it. So you're not allowed to bring Jose Bautista back against himself. I'm going to pick 2003 Carlos Delgado. That's who I want on that Blue Jays team. You know, I, I would have obviously happily taken 2006, 7, 8, 9 Roy Halladay. With, uh, with great pleasure taking any Roy Halladay. Or 2006 B.J. Ryan, maybe. That'd be fun to have in the back of the bullpen. But 2003 Carlos Delgado. Or, 2009, or 1993 John Olrude, maybe. I don't Having that kind of insane left-handed pop in the middle of the Blue Jays' very right-handed order, uh, that would have looked really nice. I don't know how many, uh, how much of that Trevor Bauer-style garbage or that bullpen game, the Clevengers and Brian Shaw and whoever else they ran out there. You give me Carlos Delgado in the middle of my lineup, and I'm a happy, happy man. Adrian wants to know... Uh, he, this is a bit of a follow-up. He, he does a little bit of roster baiting, as we all do. But he says, uh, Considering that he was originally left off the ALDS roster, is it fair to hope the Jays realized signing Smoke was a mistake and they jettisoned him off the team? Dude is relatively useless. I defended that signing. I really did, because I think that the Jays and Justin Smoke signed a very affordable contract. I believe it's only $5 million next year. As I said at the time of the signing, that's that's the sort of deal that you could pay him to go away. Like you could pay him to play for somebody else. You can include him in a trade to a team that is not looking to contend, maybe, and is looking to fill a spot with a big league caliber player, but not someone who's going to cost them an arm and a leg. You could do that with Justin Smoke, um, or maybe you are going to believe that Justin Smoke isn't nearly as bad as he appeared through much of the last three or four months of this season because I don't think that he is. He's probably not as good as he was in the early days of the season, but I, I, I just can't see a contract of that limited amount being anything of a significant mistake. I don't think that it's, and a, no Justin Smoke contract is keeping the Blue Jays from doing anything that they want to do, which makes it me, to me, not a mistake. You want to trade Justin Smoke and he could play first base for the, I don't know, the Padres or the Twins or something stupid like that. Some joke, disgrace of a team. You can. And you can find somebody else to be your backup switch hitting first baseman. Um, obviously, you have hope that maybe they'll keep him in the, in the mix and he'll figure some things out. And he'll remember that hitting the ball is a much better option than not. All right, last question. More rosturbation. Ugh. Can only do so much of that. We'll do one more. This is from Asher. He says, I do think Dexter Fowler and Josh Reddick are viable offseason targets of the Blue Jays to address the changes Roth Atkins said he'd like to make. And will my wish casting for such things lead to only heartbreak? Uh, yeah, I think that Josh Reddick in general leads to heartbreak. I am of the opinion that Josh Reddick is bad. And I've said that a few times when people ask on Twitter or wherever. Uh, yeah, I don't really think that Josh Reddick is that good. 
He used to be a good defensive outfielder. He used to have a great arm. I don't know that he does. I don't know that he's a he's an everyday player. I think he might be kind of weak. You know, he's not to face left-handed pitching, I think is, is fair to say. I don't know. For me, keep me away from Josh Reddick. I'm not into that. I don't want anything to do with... I'm sure he's a nice dude. I don't know. He probably likes wrestling like all of them, for God's sake. But yeah. And I think I think Fowler is 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 very good and will be very expensive and probably does not have a great deal of interest in playing on turf. Uh, and I think Josh Reddick is the kind of guy who will have enough choice that he would maybe not choose to play in Toronto. And I would not choose to have Josh Reddick play in Toronto if I had my druthers. That's it. Thank you so much for listening to this and indulging this uh, one-man ramble fest that is the 89th edition of Birds All Day. Uh, Stoughton and I, together as one and as always, we will be back next week. Uh, Enjoy the beginning of a very long and painful, exciting off-season. Talk to you next week on Birds All Day.